Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I'm your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? So, so good. How are you? Oh, yeah. We're doing <laughs> awesome. <laughs> what is this, the third time we've tried to do this? Ay, ay, ay. It's been, it's been a rocky start. You know, back in the day when we were grading our night times, our bedtimes with our kid, this is one of those nights. It would have been a point five. It's episode 119 of The Long Finish. We're taping this 1030 at night, Tuesday night, uh, because our seven-year-old refused to go to bed, was sitting here with us as we were putting together our podcast studio. Finally got him to bed by sending Catherine upstairs with him. Catherine falls asleep in the top bunk with him. I go and wake her up and say, hey, guess what? We had to do a podcast, drink some wine. So we're doing it, though. We're all in. Here we are. I, I'm i genuinely enjoying this wine. We're doing it because, and you said it, the wine is so good. It is. Catherine, I suggested to you that the Ryder Cup, the biggest golf event in the world, is being played this weekend. It's being played in Italy, just outside Rome, at Marco Simone Golf Course. And could we find a wine that would go great from that general area of Italy. And you said, yes, you got just the wine. So, Catherine, what are we drinking tonight? We are drinking the Nun Wine. We are drinking Monastero Suore Stistercensi. This is the Chinobium Vintage 2021. This is uh, Lazio Bianco, white wine from Lazio in Italy. Di Lecioso. Congratulations on getting the pronunciation of that one. Thank you so much. You practiced that for the last five minutes. I did. I I led a a wine training at Rustic Canyon last week and they were like, I know we've been, someone said, I was listening to your podcast. I know you're not really good on the pronunciations, but how how should we go about working on pronunciations? And I was like, well, um, you can start with YouTube and then find, phone a friend. You know, phone a friend that speaks French, that speaks Italian, all the things. Thank you to whoever that's uh, uh, who said that and said they don't <laughs> listen to, they don't have so good pronunciations, which is a running joke that's on still the podcast. That's my advice anyway, yeah. so thank you. I'm excited about this wine. I love all things Italian wines. I like white wines from Italy. This is the perfect choice, I think, to represent the region. I'm excited to hear about the story of the wine. We're going to get into it in just one second. I will talk at the end. My inspiration of the week is some big news in my life. Dun, 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 dun. The Writers Guild strike is over. Woohoo! I will talk more about this at the end, but we came to a deal with the studios over the weekend. And as of basically tonight, toward 12.01 Wednesday morning, the guild has agreed unanimously. The, the, the voting board, the governing body says it's time to go back to work. So people are going back to work. Which leaves SAG still out there, you know, on the picket lines. I'm a member of SAG, so I'll still be going to the picket lines. But we're almost there. Almost there. Congratulations to the Writers Guild on what many are saying is a great deal and well-earned and just shows the power of unions. So just wanted to say that. I will talk about that at the end. Another fun nugget came up this week. There's a This is a sports-centric wine episode, Catherine. But well, that's what it's supposed to be, right? Yeah, so I'm doing it. Miguel Cabrera is a baseball player, Catherine. He's played for the Detroit Tigers for many years. He's retiring. On his 
retirement tour, he's been going and receiving gifts from various teams. The New York Yankees gave him an autographed like subway sign with his name on it. Something, stuff that means things to the cities in which he's playing. Well, the Oakland A's, close to Napa Valley, close to that wine region, known notoriously as being a very cheap baseball organization. They don't pay their players very much. They've been trying to find ways to be successful without paying a lot. They decided to give him a, a bottle of 2020 Camus wine. Now, I bring this up because for two reasons. One, Camus can be bought at Trader wi- Joe's. Trader Joe's. It's widely... CVS. <laughs> yeah. Someone went online and said you can buy that wine for $90. It's not a bad wine. Not only did the Oakland A's buy a bottle of 2020 Camus from Miguel Cabrera, they didn't do the research on Miguel Cabrera because he's recovering alcoholic. So, I don't know. It just says a lot. It's just funny to have wine in the news and just not being a purely thoughtful gift. That's important to note. You know, I mean, historically people, you know, a bottle of wine is something that you do give to a host or you do give as a goodbye gift to a boss or, you know, someone's retirement. So you would think, okay, yeah, shoe in. But these days there are a lot of people that have decided not to drink for one reason or another. And giving a bottle of wine is like so, so bad of a look. Like meaning that you don't know the person and don't care about them. Maybe call the agent. Maybe call the organization that he plays for. Well, I was just having this very conversation today, actually, because we're doing this event at Birdie G's around the holidays, this eight nights celebrating Hanukkah with guest chefs flying in. And we were talking about, you know, are you going to give wine as a gift? Well, not everyone drinks. So either you give wine as a gift or you have to find out who drinks. You know, you have to be thoughtful about these things. It's very funny because Camus in the Rustic Canyon world is an inside joke between you, me, and another employee at Rustic Canyon, the the restaurant Rustic Canyon, because a lot of, you know, successful people come in and out of Rustic Canyon to eat and dine and drink wine. And there's a great story about an athlete uh, who played in the NFL who started a chant, according to one of the servers at Rustic Canyon that you know, and he was asking for more wine. And he, and he, had a, he was with a party of people, and he started to chant, Camus, 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 Camus. It's so hilarious, because I don't think we had, well, I'm, to my knowledge, I've never had that on the menu, but that's hilarious. The fact that Camus was chanted, and it came back around in the sports world, is just too good. Too good. So, Miggy... Have a great rest of your uh, season. Congrats on a great career. And if you don't want to drink that wine, send it over to us. We'll review it on the long finish. Catherine, let's review and praise this wine as we talk about the buildup to the greatest golf event of the year. Every two years, it's the Ryder Cup being held in Rome. This is about, I don't know, 90 minutes northwest of Rome? Yeah, it's 70 kilometers northwest of Rome. Takes about 90 minutes to get there. It's in the little city of Vitorciano in Lazio. And I was looking at pictures of the city. Incredible. It's sitting on this part of the city who sits on this wall of volcanic rock that's called Pepperino. It looks like these big giant stones and the city sort of sits on top. Looks absolutely gorgeous medieval village. And this monastery, the Sisters of the Monastero Suore Sistersensi, is a convent of 80 nuns. And this is their 17th vintage making wine. This is an incredibly peaceful, mellow, low-key, 
technology-free zone that we're talking about here. Five hectares of vineyards, orchards, gardens, all tended by these nuns. And they're just making wine organically, naturally, nothing added. The winery is basically a tool shed with some stainless steel tanks, fiberglass tanks, some glass tanks, and not not much to it here. Native yeast fermentation, no fining, no filtering, nothing going on. This is simple, simple winemaking that's very rich volcanic soil. And these nuns have been doing it for a long time. It, they started in the early 90s, but it was really in the early 2000s when Giampiero Bea, who was the son of Paolo Bea, a very famous winery in Umbria, discovered these nuns and what they were doing and was amazed at the quality of what they're producing and was like, we could do something with this. You know, we could export this, we could make money for your monastery with this beautiful product. And he helped them. He helped them refine it a little bit. He helped them get it out there. And now the USA is their largest export. People are beating down the doors for this. I remember 10 years ago drinking this wine in New York, maybe 12 years ago, something like that, and being like, wow, this is awesome and hearing the story about it. And now I only get a certain amount of cases of year. Each year it's hard to get because so many people love this wine. We should have taken it to Sound of Music. Yeah. Just a shout to the That's nuns. That's true. Yeah, next time. So they make a few wines. This is the Chenobium and it's a blend of Trebbiano, Verdicchio, and Malvasia. Trebbiano and Malvasia are all over Lazio. They're probably the most known grape varieties there, along with a few others called Bambino, Bellone. The Grecchetto is there. But a lot of Trebbiano Malvasia. And you see Trebbiano Malvasia all over Italy. Different versions of them, different subtypes. This is Trebbiano Toscana. But they're all harvested together. They're all co-fermented together. They're not planted separately. And the Verdicchio is interplanted as well. It's very simple. They sit for a little bit on the skins during the maceration to get some extra tannin and a little bit a little bit of color. You see that a little bit in this wine, but it's very, very delicate. I wouldn't call it an orange wine. I wouldn't call it skin contact. But it ha- it's a beautiful wine because it to me, this is just fall in a glass. It's like apple and fennel seed, so much chamomile wildflowers. You just sort of feel like you're in this garden. In It's herbal. There's honey. A lot of just savory notes to this wine. It's something worth sipping on and definitely for vegetables. Can I ask you about the nuns? Is there a winemaker among the nuns or is someone making... Are they like... What is the nuns... How are they involved in the winemaking? Well, they make the wine... So this is the... Is there like a head, a head nun? That's sort this of- is the Cistercian order of, of nuns. It's, so they're Catholic, obviously. The Cistercian order started around 1100. So it's a particular order with focus, but very, very much based on a simple, simple, simple life. So this is one of the things that they do. They tend to their gardens. They also make olive oil. They have orchards. So it's probably almost everyone, every nun at the winery is in some way involved in this, whether it's just outside their 
tending the vines during the day or someone is tending the orchard or, you know, different different nuns would have different tasks within the monastery. There's probably going to be leaders from time to time in different aspects of the winemaking, but it's a group effort. There's not one person that's doing it. So interesting. I, you know, one thing I notice uh, every time about this one is the label and the font of the label is so iconic. Well, I, I think that that is a really key factor in getting this wine out there to the world. It has the same style of label as the Paolo Bea wines in Umbria. It does have a lot of that writing on the front. It says how it's made, what the grapes are. Of course, that's all in Italian. And Giampiero, the winemaker at Paolo Bea, I mean, he knew what it was doing, you know, in terms of ushering this this wine out in front of the media and distributors in the right way with great, you know, with his branding on it in a sense, but it's their wine. And people know the story. They call it the nun wine. If you can find this in other cities, it's called, people just call it the nun wine. It's not like Trappist beer, you know, where there are a lot of different Trappist beers. There's not a lot of nun wine. Now, there was back in the day, but these days, the only nun wine getting exported to the U.S. is this, as far as I know. Now, is this wine region known across America? Because I feel like it's not a wine region that we typically talk no, about when it comes to it's Italy. hard to find wines from here. It's really, really hard. I mean, it is the seventh largest. There are 20 states in Italy. This is the seventh largest production of wine. I couldn't even believe that to be honest with you, because most of it is bulk wine. Most of it is white wine, Trebbiano Malvasia, that's a little bit sweet and just bulk, not interesting. But there's a lot of interesting soil here. There's ancient volcanoes. There's 30 different wine designations. There is wine here, but most of it is drunk locally, not a lot exported. In terms of like regions that you would know, iconic regions, the only one that I think I see from time to time is Frascati, which is south of Rome. Again, that's a Malvasia Trebbiano blend. And then Orvieto to the north, which is part in Umbria, but a little bit's in Lazio, some from there. But that's kind of it. Otherwise, it's really, I've had beautiful Sangiovese from Lazio. I've had other wines from Lazio, but they come in and out. You know, I don't keep them. I haven't kept kept any of them in stock for a long time. And it's not a region that I can find a lot about, to be honest. You know, if you're looking for wine from Italy, researching, not a lot on Lazio. Very interesting. Any, any other notes on the process of the winemaking from the nuns? It's just such a fascinating story. Do we, or do we, do we pretty much hit it all? I mean, I told you what it is. It is really simple, straightforward, winemaking just the way we like it but the pictures of the nuns in the vineyards it just it's really cute does this wine have an instagram oh gosh i don't know that's a great thought i it, it makes me think sometimes a lot of that book um yeah no instagram shocking that these nuns would not have uh instagram if we if we if we find it if we unearth it somehow we'll I'll let, let you, know. you know but I mean, you got to think these these ladies over in italy 
making these wines are very, very social media savvy. I know oh they, they probably, no, I told you no technology. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. See, they well, don't have that. They well, then why need... am I looking it up? They, know, it's 1045 at night. All, all that it says on Neil Rosenthal's site is like how serene and happy and just like peaceful these people are. They just have this beautiful way of life. It, it, it does remind me of the book that I recommended last year, Matrix by Lauren Groff, which was about nuns and their life and they made wine there too and so i had thought a lot about this although the pictures make it seem like these nuns are just really happy they're not like it's a different thing being sent to you know nuns in i don't know the middle ages versus nuns today there's so many more choices for women now you would think you know not a lot of people hiding out as nuns that didn't really want to be there you know this is you would hope Everyone's pretty happy where they are. Well, we're very happy with this wine. Can we talk about wine pairings, food pairings for this one? Yeah. I it, Like I said, I was thinking vegetables. I wonder if it might even pair with artichokes, the dreaded wow. artichoke. Because it is so chamomile and herbal. And this, may, you know, and the artichoke tends to make the wine taste sweeter. And I think that would just sort of be okay with this wine. I was thinking of some fall soups. Celery is coming to mind for some reason because this wine has that fennel celery thing. A fennel soup would be so pretty. A fennel salad, roasted fennel with roast chicken. I ask this question sometimes. Typical drinkers, of fans of Chardonnay, fans of Sauvignon Blanc. I mean, who, who do you think would fall in love with this wine? I'm not sure. Maybe someone that's into Chablis, you know, because it, it's just, it's not there. Or or someone who is into a non-California Chardonnay. Because who's it, not into Chablis? Come on, that, that's everybody, right? Yeah, but it does have that mineral, you know, non-fruit character. Obviously, if you like Italian white wines, you'll like this. It's not overly aromatic, so you like it. It's not buttery or oaky, but it does have a lot of character. It's not a fruity wine. It's more a character-driven wine. Where can people find this wine? You can find it. You can find it at Esther's. I found it at a lot of small wine shops online when I was looking. The wine is very, very loved. So look at your local wine store or ask about your local wine store. It may be sold out, but they might have it when it comes back. And they almost always know what this wine is. Yes, the nun wine, Paolo Bea's wine from just outside Rome. I mean, few would say Monastero Suore Sister Sensi. Look at you but crushing that pronunciation. That. But they would know Chenobium or they will know nun wine. They didn't know that I was being a dictator about your pronunciation tonight where we're trying to set this up for the third time i just imagine a golden you nailed it i yes thank you a golden apple fennel salad with just some really delicate cheese little consomme and you haven't been drinking for the past week because of some antibiotics i know i'm not really drinking this either mom don't worry mom Oh, okay sorry mom (laughs) (laughs) just a little you're just you're just sipping on it you're just smelling it i am yep it's unfiltered. I mean, you can see it in the glass, but not in a not in a chunky way. It's just pretty golden, delicate. It's a great wine. I'm glad you brought this out to represent Italy. Now, how many golfers out there are going to be drinking this? I mean, people are going to be drinking wine. You go to Italy, and if you 
do drink you know alcohol you're gonna be drinking wine maybe some peronis but i think people are out there to go go if you can find this in italy that'd be amazing so when you're in italy no matter for what event you're drinking wine i love reading stanley tucci's memoir and he talks about the different movie sets that he's been on around the world and what they serve for the lunch and or craft services and the Italy is notoriously a bad breakfast, but a wonderful lunch and always with wine. Well, when I think of breakfasts in Italy, I, have, I always think about this hotel that we stayed at somewhere like when we were near Siena and we had breakfast like it was we had like three days there. Oh, that place was awesome. We had great breakfasts. Yeah. They're great without being like outlandish. It's not like you're getting like an all-American, you know, three pancake, two two pieces of no, bacon. No, it wasn't it's like, too much. It's like European yogurt with like hard-boiled eggs. I thought you were going to tell the story of that that other guy that we saw there having breakfast. The, the other guy? That poured orange juice on his cereal. <laughs> do you not remember? <laughs> I do remember that. I do remember that, but I, I don't really have much more of a story. It's more of a just like a quick image. <laughs> I don't really know. Like, let me tell you about the story of a man who pours orange juice over his frosted flakes. No, very weird. And I, I, I made sure he knew that. I'm like, sure, you're very weird. <laughs> <laughs> and you said it in your Italian, your broken Italian. I did. I did do it. Yep, that's exactly. I did it just the way Stanley Tucci would do it. Oh, gosh. He probably enjoyed it. Yes. Took it as a compliment. Anyway, this wine's awesome. I'm really excited uh, for people to either be reintroduced to this wine or learn about this wine for the first time. It's got a great story, great label, just an awesome wine. So couldn't be happier that we're talking about this wine for uh, an Italian week of the show. All right, let's get to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. I will go first. Talked about it earlier in the episode. We have come to the conclusion of the Writers Guild strike. It will be a total of 148 days of striking. As I said earlier, SAG is continuing the strike, but I'm very happy to be done with one of the two strikes. And I got to say, I am so proud to be a member of the Writers Guild. The cohesion, the unity, the solidarity that I saw over the past 148 days really was incredible. In a time, or especially in a business, what's often so isolating, and you know this, living with me, such an isolating industry at times where you feel very alone, to go out to these picket lines, hear stories of other people's journey, their successes and struggles, and to sort of all be rowing in the same direction is so unique in this business, and it felt so good. I'm rooting for everyone that's in the Writers Guild, and... I also want to give a special shout out to Drew Carey. For those of you who don't know, he did this in 2008 at the last strike. Drew Carey of Drew Carey TV fame, now the host of The Price is Right. He fronted the bill, if you were a Writers Guild member, at Bob's Big Boy in Toluca Lake uh, near Burbank, California, and also in Swingers Cafe in Hollywood. If you showed your Writers Guild card, he would pay for your meal, including a 20% tip to the staff of the restaurants and he did it again in 2023 i don't even know what the bill he's paying but he doesn't make a big cahoot about it if you know you know i went once to bob's big boy i took my family on saturday night to swingers our three kids my wife and i was thinking i was going to pay for you know the wj would pay for me and i would pay for the rest of the family and 
Drew Carey paid for the whole family. And I just think that's so cool. You know, it's unheralded. He's not talking about it in the press. It's just what he does. I mean, tip of the cap to Drew Carey. And um, I met Drew Carey. I worked with him on Community when I did an episode of Community with him and Rob Corddry 13 years ago. It's an episode I was cut out of um, very, very sadly. That's the story from their time. But Drew Carey was so nice then. Um, just admiring him from afar now. And if you ever listen to this, Drew, just want to say thank you for letting me take my kids out to dinner on a Saturday night at Swingers. So that's my inspiration. Congrats to the Writers Guild. Congrats to everyone out there in unions. Solidarity uh, matters. And uh, just really, really inspired by this whole experience and excited to see what's next for everyone in the months and years to come. Catherine, what's inspiring you this week? Well, I didn't want to steal your thunder, but I want to hop on your train because to see the community that has been building for the last 140 something days has been really cool. I mean, you coming home with stories of people that you've met and talked to, it is inspiring. It's inspiring because, you know, everyone's not out fighting for their own peace. And it seems a lot of times maybe writers don't compete in the same way actors do. It's not like a lot going out for the same part in a sense. But you are all in your own homes. And just for someone like you who loves people and loves to talk and be in a room with someone or on a sidewalk, you've seemed really happy. So I hope that that just continues on and that this is great news to get to get these new moves for the writers and that, you know, everyone carries that community with them. Yeah, no one really wanted to be at the picket lines, but I think people... You know, saw the silver lining as an opportunity to meet people and and grow. You know, your your friend base, grow your network, and just really feel like you're not alone, which I think is a huge deal, not only in Hollywood but in life. Especially after COVID. Yeah, definitely. We're still reeling from it that was pandemic. like a very healing thing in a way, so, even though you know nobody made money. But well, like I said, we we made the best of it, and I, and, and you know, shout out to the negotiating committee because they they created some things in this new deal. That will help young writers, younger writers, and help the future of the writing business, which I think is kind of slowed down the movement of AI for a few years and still made it feel like it's uh, you know a human endeavor, you know, creating art. So they did a fantastic job. So just want to shout out uh, the, the negotiating team, the committee, all writers guilds didn't need to do this for 148 days. This should have you know probably the studios probably should have resolved this earlier, but you know I think it strengthened the the union and just want to make sure that. Everyone out there knows um, that this was a a successful strike. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 119 of The Long Finish. Episode 119 is in the books. This was a journey to get this episode made, but we did it. Yahoo! Multiple kids up tonight. We did it. Um, But we're so excited to be drinking this wine, talking to you all about this wine, and just letting you know uh, what's going on in our world. We should be back with another episode next week. I hope you all enjoy the Ryder Cup if you have a chance to watch it. If not, go grab a bottle of Italian wine and just imagine that you're over there. Do that. So anyway, thanks for sticking with us. If you have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe to our show, we would love it. Catherine, where can they find you in the long finish on social media? You can find me at Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram, and you can find the long finish there too, at the long finish. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. Thanks again to everyone for listening to the show. Hope to uh, have you back here next week with an all-new episode. Until then, be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.